Father, we thank you so much for that love that you expressed us in so many ways, God. Yes, it's truly a reckless love, God, because we do not deserve it. Father, I know that, that I don't, and, and yet you chased me down, and you're so faithful. God, thank you for that. Um, help me to help each one of us to understand what that means and to live and to just bask and enjoy that love, God, and then overflow in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can be seated. Well, it's great to see you today. I am um, very casual today. I'm wearing just a plain old t-shirt and tennis shoes on stage. We're fairly casual here anyway, but um, I wanted to do this today to wake you up with a bright shirt. Uh, but also, I know Bobby had a chance, Pastor Bobby had a chance to talk about Vacation Bible School, the day camp this last week, but I wanted to just follow that up. Um, I get a chance to be involved with that every year. I, I love kids, which is a good thing because I have five of my own, <laughs> but, uh, but I love kids and just being around the energy and the enthusiasm and how much Jesus is lifted up. And I get a chance to kind of bring a missionary uh, flair, an overseas mission moment each, each day to the proceedings and stuff. But I just wanted to take a, a little minute to let you know that um, each year this happens, but more so this year than ever, as it finished, and I went, you know what, I, this could be... This could be about the very best thing we do as a church every single year. And, and I sometimes I know, I know we know, yay, good, what's next? And I almost don't want to go, what's next? The next generation is being impacted for Jesus. Hundreds of kids are coming here, depending upon 100 to 200 volunteers to come and just be with them. And kids that have never, I know of at least one family that they've never even been to church like like they came on, the parent came on Thursday night to the kids' program. The kids were asked last year, they wouldn't let them come. Second year of asking, by the way, keep asking. They came, and the kids loved it so much that the, the parent or parents came on Thursday night and actually came in here to the kids' program where they're dancing and doing their motions, and they're hearing about Jesus when they're here, and they were like, wow, I've never even been in a church before. Wow, this is something, and we're like, this is our opportunity that you, they may never have come on a Sunday morning when you invited them, but they'll come with the kids. So I, I just got to tell you, my heart's so huge. I almost want a next year fight to say, let's just clear the calendar. There's nothing happening the week before, the week during accepted, and the week after. It's just nothing that's, that gets in the way of us being able to really focus, get as many kids from our community here, because kids also represent parents, grandparents, families, and our community. So I just wanted to trumpet that. By the way, the mission moment that I brought was we get a chance to lift up uh, something that we as a church do already with global missions. And so the last few years, we've been doing various things, and they actually get to bring offering money if they have a few pennies or dollars or whatever towards something. Because we're building churches in Uganda as part of this relationship we have with the orphans there that we've you know, some of you know all about this, but we've had a relationship since 2006 with a ministry there in Uganda in Africa, and uh, we've sponsored 64 orphans that were this little, and now they're this big, uh, but we're still with them and helping them educationally, but we're building churches as well, and so I brought a brick last time home when I came from January uh, from Uganda, and I could show the kids that, believe it or not, $1 buys 25 of these bricks, and it does. Now, they're bigger bricks than our bricks, and they're rougher, and they're dirty and stuff, but they could actually see them. The kids got so enthused with it, they got so excited that they'd come up and say, and I'd say, a nickel buys a little more than a brick. 
So if you guys want to, well, they've come. I bought 50 bricks today. I brought $2. And they could just visualize, and we'd throw, show, throw pictures up on the screen about how what the churches were looking like as they were building them. Well, by the end of the week, they brought enough money that they purchased over 11,000 bricks for the next church that we're building. And they're so into it. Like, I want to bring more. I'm like, you can. You know, my mom wants you too. Awesome, because it's a great work going over there. But they could see a tangible way that just their little bit of giving really adds up and makes a difference. So anyway, I just, I know I could go on and on and like, there's no time for a message. Amen. <laughs> but, um, but I just wanted to do that. I'm so passionate about, about Jesus. And, um, and I just see him lifted up in, in people's lives through this event. So um, if you, anyway, it's, it's next year, but start, put it on your calendar right now to see if you can come help and who might be in your neighborhood that you could ask to come along with and to be a part of this um, as kids and families. Well, Pastor Bobby said that we're continuing our new series. Uh, first service, he said we're just continuing. It's actually the first, we're starting a new series. There's no continuation here. Starting a nine-week series today that we'll be running through this summer. And um, it's called Open Table. And we're going to be going through the New Testament book of Luke, not the book of John. Thank you, Bobby, again. Through the book of Luke, he was cracking me up today. Uh, but stock, stopping along the way at many times, uh, that Jesus has significant conversations over a meal. And we see that nine times in the book of Luke. You all of a sudden start seeing, wow, there's, there's meal time, there's dinner time, there's, there's food and, and community there. So we're going to move from table to table and meal to meal and discover how Jesus wants us to, or excuse me, Jesus wants to invite everyone to his table, no matter what they are and no matter who they are. And we'll see that Jesus issues that same invitation to each one of us today. So no matter what we think of ourselves and, and what others think of us, also, Jesus wants us to continue to invite all people to his table ourselves. That's even like the vacation Bible school thing, inviting someone to his table to be in community. We have a part in his mission. Now, as I, what's going to happen today is I'm going to kind of set up the whole series, the big picture, and then we're going to actually take a look at a short passage and unpack that. So big picture here. I think as I started thinking about Jesus, many people think of Jesus as this very kind of, when he walked here on earth in the form of man, as kind of a stern, austere, kind of, uh, um, you know, Spartan and living kind of a person when he walked here. And so they think of a man who probably denied himself a whole lot of pleasures to, pleasures to increase his holiness, right? And so uh, it would be things like, you know, you're going to wear rough material clothing because you don't need fine, fancy, soft materials. You, you know, picture a burlap sack. You know, that's kind of what Jesus would go around and, you know, kind of rough. And, you know, he's going to sleep outside on the ground, or if he is going to sleep inside, it's going to be on the stone floor. And maybe he's going to pass on a blanket from time to time and not use one just because he doesn't want to be too comfortable and kind of lapse into that, that stage of comfort that might get in the way of, of, of holiness, you know. Uh, maybe he isn't going to eat very much at all, and if he does eat, it's going to be a very little, and it's going to be very plain food because by golly Jesus isn't going to get bogged down and all that well that's a very interesting view and certainly pleasures can get in the way of our relationship with God and and godliness but that's not the picture that the Bible gives us we certainly don't see Jesus as someone who chased after pleasure at all but but um we do see Jesus especially in the book of Luke it tells us that he was um he was, he was very much into eating and very much into meals with people, and, and that's a beautiful thing. In fact, Jesus was known by those in his day as one who loved to be with others around the table. It happened a lot, um, and that's not all that different from many of us today, right? <laughs> you know, we can find ourselves eating with people or just eating a fair amount, but, um, uh, but there's, a, there's some similarities and yet some differences between 
me eating and meals then as opposed to now, and I want to unpack that in a moment. There are some significant differences, but Jesus' mealtime culture uh, for what we, ca- what we can see right now is that, G- that Luke, the book of Luke, speaks of Jesus as a man who loved to eat and drink with people, and he also loved to be with outcasts of his day. So eating and drinking with people, and then people were specifically some outcasts. And it's been said that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal or he's at a meal, or he's coming away from a meal. You know, it just kind of seems like those are what's described throughout. And you may have never noticed that in Luke. So we'll have some fun this summer kind of looking at and seeing the significance of that. Sounds like my kind of guy, right? Kind of the food is a big deal. Jesus even said this about himself when they were asking about fasting and eating. And he said, the son of man, speaking about himself, came eating and drinking. This is in Luke 7. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You know, Jesus is like, I can't win whether I fast or whether I eat. I'm going to get criticized. (laughs) The truth is, Jesus ate with many people and sometimes often enough that he was criticized for having too much fun. Believe that or not, I think sometimes, again, that view of Jesus of he walks around and he's quiet, but because he's God, he walks two feet above everyone else. And he's just kind of quiet. And when he looks at you, he knows everything you're thinking and everything about, you know, it's just kind of that whole thing. And and Jesus and fun, and yet Jesus and fun is, is very much a part of life. I can't imagine. I mean, get 13 guys walking around together on dusty roads, taking, you know, cleaning off in the river and mud fights breaking out. You know, who knows what's going on there? But, but Jesus and God created fun, right? And laughter, that had to happen a lot. So I wanted just to get a view of Jesus as more than just this, the guy up on the mountain in the white robe um, in that process. So um, I want to start then today, and this is in your outline. I left some blanks, space, if you want to take any notes that hit you. And then on the back side, we'll fill in some blanks because we do that here at Twin Cities to keep you engaged. But uh, there's some blank space. First of all, I want to take a look at the contrast in meal times. I started thinking about what meals are like today, and certainly there's a, ver- a variety. But here in the United States, here in California, our meal times, we generally eat three meals a day or more. Some of us are transgressing into Hobbit territory where they'll eat six a day. I researched this, 7 a.m. breakfast, 9 a.m. second breakfast, 11 a.m. elevenses. That's a beauty right there. What time is it? <laughs> um, 1 o'clock lunch and 4 o'clock afternoon tea, and then 6 o'clock dinner or supper time. And I, isn't there time for a late night meal on top of that? But that's the Hobbit world, and for some of us, that starts sounding pretty good. Today in our life, certainly in our culture, we have a huge variety of food available. All the different, you know, where do you want to go out typically is do you feel like Mexican or Italian or Chinese, you know, those sorts of things and what's in the refrigerator. Huge varieties of stuff. And it doesn't even matter the time of year because if something isn't grown here locally at this time of year, it is in South America and they'll just plane it up and you can eat grapes year round or whatever, right? Things are just available to us. We kind of just take that for granted and it's fine, but that's the reality. Often our meals I have found are rushed, all too often with the television on or music playing or some sort of distraction. There's cell phones and and tablets present, maybe reading a book or newspaper that happens. Not much time and often not much conversation. Now, I'm not talking about that occasional time when you get together with a group of friends. I'm talking about just your regular meal times, how they tend to go. In fact, let's watch a video of maybe what might seem like today. How was school? I learned the monkey bars. That's great. Music is so important. We did finger painting. To take a camera or something. Yeah, take some pictures. We're going on a one-way field trip to Mars. Let us know if you need a chaperone. All right. <laughs> 
go, my meals aren't like that, you might not know it. <laughs> you know, it's the kids sitting at the table. Well, mealtime's interesting. I reflect on uh, the high schoolers are heading up to Hume Lake. Bobby mentioned that. In fact, one of my sons is going, and we'll pray for them this week. My memory as a youth pastor of going to Hume, one of them was, in terms of meals, was that they would, they do it differently now, but you'd come in, you'd sit at your tables, they'd bring the food, and then you would eat as fast as you could, because you had to finish to move on to the next thing. And I hated doing that. I'm like, I'm not going to eat fast. So I'm one quarter of the way done, and they're cleaning the dishes away, so you have to kind of gulp and gallop, you know? That was, that was the way that it was. There's important things we got to do. You know, he's rushed through there. So I know things have changed there a little bit in that. But um, our, our, um, so our meals are very interesting. Sometimes they can be very formal and um, very, and which can be very awkward and not personal. I have a picture here of a meal at Buckingham Palace. And uh, ooh, and ah, but you know, I don't know if I'd be comfortable sitting there in a tuxedo with all those forks to choose from and crystal and the queen sitting at the end there and like, is this a meal or is this a show, right? You know, they can be that way. You take out their frying china and everybody's afraid of breaking something. And so it's kind of, you know, you just kind of get through it and as much fun as it can be. Very often, I think our meals are just flat out functional. And by that, I mean we just, you know, get some food down and move on. You know, and maybe the food tastes good. I'm not saying we don't care about what it tastes like, but just kind of grab something good, great, great, move, next, you know, and move on through. So that's kind of a picture of what our, our meal times are very often like today. And in Jesus' day and culture, it was very different. First of all, very often they would eat just two meals a day. And when would that happen? But again, some of that was just based on availability. Some of that was based on how much money you might have. And then just what, what, what happened culturally there. So often just two meals a day. And then very plain, very simple food and not much variety. Okay? And that was just what was there. Again, it's not like you're flying things in from South America, right? So what, what is grown or what is produced nearby in the way of, of any sort of a of, of something that would be food items. But even though the food was very simple and not much variety, mealtime was often an event, okay, where we tend to kind of just slam through it and move on to the next thing. This was going to be an event. We don't eat much. We don't eat very often, but we're going to make this an event. And community happens at a meal. Meal and community isn't often the same thing in our culture today. Um, they would recline on couches. You know, for us, it's a chair, sit down, eat meat, leave. They're just going to settle in and get cozy on couches. We're going to be here a while, and we're going to get close to each other. Maybe they'd have multiple couches and people reclining on them. Typically, three on a couch would kind of just kind of lounge around in, in, in these as they would eat. Their food consisted often in terms of bread, which was a very, very common substance there in, in Israel, in the Israel area. And uh, it was coarse brown bread. Only the very wealthy could, could use any would have any bread that would have refined flour and stuff, so coarse brown bread, but it was still good. But the very poorest people ate, um, um, they ate, I gotta look back here so I make sure I say this right. It was barley bread that the poor would eat. In fact, some of the accounts of Jesus feeding the 5,000, the guy coming up with the little boy, he just had barley bread. And so how many of you have had barley bread? A couple of hands. How many of you regularly eat barley bread? Those same hands aren't going up. Do you know why? And there's a reason why you haven't had barley bread. It's not very good. Okay, it's kind of like a, kind of like a brick, kind of like a rock. In those days, they very often felt like they needed to soak it in some. If they had a little bit of fish, they could get some juice and soak the bread in it, so they could actually bite it. You know what I mean? So, so this is very. I don't want to just say rustic. Very simple, very plain, and and um, just just what was there. And so, for for them to drink, they would often have water, which they would boil. 
like we might do today in terms of, of course, we turn on our tap and out comes clean water, but they would boil it for purity's sake. They would have some wine, which would be a part of medicinal value, and very often that was two or three parts of water to one part wine, so you would get some of the effects, but certainly the alcohol wasn't, wasn't a, a huge, huge part of that. And so here's the deal. It wasn't so much about the actual food and drink. It was all about the meal. And we'd say, well, what? Isn't the food and drink the meal? Oh, it is to us. It wasn't to them. It's an occasion. It's an event. It's community. We're going to sit back. We're going to lie on couches. Sure, it's going to be some brown bread and some water, some wine. It's maybe going to be some fish that was caught out of the ocean or caught out of the sea nearby. You know, it's going to be It's kind of like what I had yesterday. But we're going to have community together. And it's going to take some time. And we're going to have relationship. And it's going to be beautiful. That's what mealtime was for them. And it's important that we know that as we move into this series because it isn't just, hey, you want to hit in and out on the way out? Grab food, munch, munch, off you go. That wasn't it at all. Who you're going to eat with, what's going to happen, and the food's important too. But what's going to happen is a big part. Inviting someone to a meal was an honor. It was long relational time. Sharing a meal meant sharing life. And uh, it was really an, an invitation was an offer of peace, of trust, of brotherhood, and even of forgiveness. And so there was this huge inclusive. Having someone to a meal was a big, big deal. So when we see Jesus eating, he isn't just stopping off and having a quick bite to eat with someone. There's community and family that's developing. So I want to understand that as we go through. Today we're going to be looking at the first meal passage in Luke. And as so many of his meals do, it involves people that would not be comfortable at a Buckingham Palace dinner. They would never be there. They would never get invited. It's full of people who are seen as undesirable by the cool and the together people of the day. And they actually see themselves, they see themselves as undesirable. You see, they've been put down so many times, they just knew that they weren't worth hanging out with. No one would hang out with them. I'm an undesirable, and that's right where it is until Jesus came along. And uh, I, I want to read these words found in Luke chapter 5, and it's in your program. It'll be um, up on the screen. If you have your Bible, you can open there. We're not going to go anywhere else but Luke chapter 5 today, taking a look at this short passage, but we're going to look at it. I want to read through the whole thing, and I want to really pull it apart and dig down between the lines and see what's going on. So, um, and then see what God wants to stay, say to us through these verses. This is really an open table to all who feel undesirable. So in Luke chapter 5, it says this. After this, he, Jesus, went out, and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he, Levi, rose and followed Jesus. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. Here's the meal. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. Reclining, we talked about that, right? Uh, with table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumble at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no, re- no need of a physician, but those who are sick, they do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So here we see an account of Jesus encountering a man named Levi. Now I need to pause here and let you know that Levi is the same as Matthew. Okay, he's called both, and so I say that because we're going to watch a video in a minute where he talks to Matthew. That's Levi. Now, whether or not he had two names, Matthew, Levi, Levi, Matthew, it's like, could mom and dad not make up their minds, so they gave him both? Or was his name Levi uh, beforehand, and once he became a follower of Jesus, he changed it over to Matthew? It's the scripture doesn't seem to be clear about that, but I just want you to know that this Levi that we're talking about is Matthew, who becomes one of the 12 disciples who also wrote the book of Matthew in the Bible. 
very, very, very significant man in the life of Jesus, and in fact, then in our lives that God used powerfully. That's this Levi that we're talking about. So I just want you to know that up front. Um, so um, Levi is a hated tax collector, but Jesus calls Levi to follow him. And, and, and then they jump into this huge meal situation. And so I want to break this down. I want to look through these verses in more detail, really to uncover the juicy parts, if we can put it that way. So the first thing we see about Jesus in this story, even before the meal, is that this. Jesus sees potential and a future where others see problems in the past. So this is your first fill in the blanks on your outline. Jesus sees potential and a future where others, others only see problems in the past. And that's a beautiful thing about Jesus you see, most people would go, would, would go out of their way to not see the tax collector, right? If he's down that street, I'm going this way. Even if I have to go the long way around, I don't even want to see that guy. Figuring if, if they don't see him, he might not see you, right? But Jesus is different. He doesn't see the tax collector with all the baggage that comes with that position. He sees a man, and he sees a man with a good heart who has the potential for so much more. So... Jesus sees potential and not the problems. What are the problems of, of, with tax collectors in that day? Well, there are at least three I want to mention. First of all, the first problem with tax collectors is that they, um, they collect taxes. <laughs> it's right there. Is that pretty obvious, you know? The person who collects taxes, whether that's the IRS today, people who collect tolls, people who are receiving that, none of them are usually our best buddies, are they? And don't take anybody take that personally. It just tends to be true. Most of us don't say, tax is cool. Tax collectors, cool. I want to hang out with them. Right? You're kind of like, taxes, can we talk about something else? You know, religion and politics is sounding much better than talking about taxes at this point in the process, right? So that's where they're at. They make their living doing a very unpopular job, okay? And so that's just, that's the first problem. The second one is this. The second problem is that many tax collectors in that day, uh, they were dishonest. And they cheated the people in order to make more money themselves. You know, you could kind of pocket the difference. And the truth is, in that day, who is going to be able to check the facts, Okay, today with, with you know, information at our disposal, with the internet and everything, we can check tax rates, whether it's sales tax or income tax or property tax, and we know to the penny how much we owe. Back then, it wasn't the case. You might not even be able to do math yourself. You would go to the tax collector, whether it was a tax, a toll kind of a situation or based on income or based on seasonal, whatever that it was, you'd come to him and he'd say, well, you owe me $74.12. And you'd have to pay. Well, I don't. Yes, that's what I owe. That's, he tells me that. Now, you may only owe $40, 40, $40 and he's going to keep 30, 30, whatever I just said, the extra money. But you wouldn't know that. You have no way to know it. So you leave there kind of suspicious. You've heard rumors that, oh, he overcharges so much. But you can't actually prove that. You don't have books to go to. And so that's just the way that it was. You, you paid what they asked, always suspicious they were charging you too much. And then I have to ask the question, was Levi one of those dishonest guys? Well, the Bible doesn't seem to say, but because most tax collectors were reputed to be dishonest and cheaters, Levi was considered to be dishonest. Remember, just like you couldn't know if he was being dishonest, you couldn't really know if he was being honest either. And so Levi, he was considered to be a cheater and to be dishonest, and he was hated because of it, whether he cheated or not. First problem, you take taxes, and I'd rather not pay taxes. There's too many. Secondly, I'm pretty sure you cheat me, and you take my money and keep it for yourself so you can have money. I really am not liking this. Third problem, 
The Jews of the day would see Levi and any of the Hebrew tax collectors as employees of the Romans. Well, they were employees of the Romans. But you see, the Romans were being tolerated right now until God would just beat the heck out of them and Israel would get back on its feet and beat them off. So the Romans were the enemies. So if you as a tax collector are being an employee of the Romans, you have sold out. In fact, you have said, this is more important to me than my family, than my personal, than my country, than Israel as a nation. And in fact, it's more important than God. So you have become an enemy of, of, of the Hebrews, of Israel, and you become an enemy of God. And that's how they viewed this. So this is a huge deal. A tax collector, he takes taxes. I wish he didn't do that. Then he cheats me. And then beyond that, he even hates God. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of doing it in a nutshell, but it becomes a major, major issue. So that's how he was viewed. No wonder he didn't have any friends <laughs> because everybody is, is being, you know, taxes are being collected. The tax collectors were troubled. No one wanted a relationship with someone. Let's go hang out socially, you know. Uh, they were so full of problems. Better to avoid the problems than to engage it, people felt, because those problems might become your problems. So turn away. Don't look him in the eye. Do your best to ignore him and try to just tolerate what he is and the job that he does. And then here's the difference. Jesus appears on the scene, and he didn't see Levi's problems in his past. He saw the potential in him, and he saw a future that even Levi couldn't see. I bumped across a video this week of Jesus' encounter with Levi uh, because it's from a different book of the Bible. They call him Matthew, same guy, same, same account here. And although the video isn't great quality and it's a bit dated, it's old, I want you to pay close attention to, to both Jesus and Matthew, Levi, and watch what happens and watch their faces and, and be there at this encounter. This, this is a, a minute that covers what the Bible says in one sentence. But see what happens as Jesus encounters Matthew, the tax collector. Let's watch. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Matthew got up and followed him. I love that scene. See, no one ever looked at a tax collector in the eye. No one ever moved towards a tax collector. You moved away from them. You avoided them. You never actually looked at somebody. And yet Jesus looks him in the eye. You see him come up, and he pauses and considers, and then he moves towards him. And he actually, he actually leans into him, and he smiles, and he makes eye contact. And you, see, you can see that Levi's like, what is going on? 
because no one does this. No one's making eye contact. They pay their money and get out and hope they don't see me for a long time. And this guy's coming up to me, and he's looking at me, and he's leaning in, and he's smiling. He's weirded out by it. In fact, the onlookers are like, this is weird. No one does this. Does Jesus know what he's doing? (laughs) Jesus doesn't see the problems, and he doesn't see the past. He doesn't see a tax collector. He doesn't avoid this supposed undesirable person. He seeks him out. He seeks him out. And for, for some of you today, this is the main thing that God wants you to understand this morning. Because I think that you think that if Jesus were to enter the room, he would walk right by you. In fact, he might just choose the aisle where you aren't sitting. And if he did walk by you, he's not going to look at you. And if he did look at you, it's going to be a quick glance and he's going to keep moving. You think he's going to ignore you. So he doesn't have to deal with you and all your problems and your past and your baggage. And yet the reality is Jesus, if he came in this room, would come. Take this person, each one of you. He would come and he would stop right in front of you. You might have to walk through some chairs to get to you. And he'd stop right in front of you. And he'd stop and he'd look at you. And he'd lean in. He'd look you in the eye and he'd smile. And he'd say, Follow me. Follow me. I love you. You are my friend. And how does that feel to hear him say that to you right now? I, I don't know where you're coming from. Some of you are like, that sounds great. That's, that's what I'm used to. And others of you are like, he wouldn't do that. That's what Levi said. He is not coming down my road. He is certainly not stopping. And if he stops, he's only going to criticize me. And if he doesn't criticize, you see what I'm saying? It just continues. And yet... And yet Jesus sees something that no one else sees. The others are like, I'm not so sure. Jesus is like, I'm sure. I see more here. I see the man that I created him to be. And Levi the tax collector in that moment when it says he followed him. See, the Bible, that's over like this. But when you see it and you think about it, he stands up and his entire life changes. It's, the Bible says he leaves everything behind. I'm done with that life and I move into whatever this new life is going to be walking with Jesus because he sees me and he loves me and he wants me to follow him. It just touches me. We're not even to the meal yet. Next, we see from this story, and it does move into the meal, that Jesus values relationship over reputation. Jesus values relationship over reputation. Now, Jesus knows that others are going to look down on him and criticize him for hanging out with the quote-unquote undesirables. But the truth is he enjoys their company. He just does. And he enjoys their openness to him, you know, their, their lack of pretense and their lack of game playing. These are authentic, honest, broken people, honest about their brokenness, but they're right there. And, and Jesus, Jesus came for these people to bring life, to bring purpose, and to bring salvation and freedom. And will it cost Jesus' reputation? Absolutely it will. And he knows it. Even when Jesus stops, again, you see even in that little video clip, they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? This is a tax dude, you know? Rebel, cheater, bad guy, no, no one hangs out with him. Jesus isn't worried about being politically correct. He values real relationship over a simple reputation. And then Levi gets up, and, and he takes an incredible risk 
he takes a chance and throws Jesus a huge party, a virtual feast of that day, it says. And, and it's a big risk for him because he's asking his new rabbi, Jesus, this one. And Jesus, everybody's talking about him. And he's, he's called me. He's, he's bringing in this holy rabbi guy into this. And he's mixing him with his other friends. Does a tax collector have friends? It's the cultural riffraff of the day because a tax collector doesn't have friends except maybe another tax collector. You aren't going to hang out with him. And finally, you bump into another tax collector who's like, I don't have any friends either. Well, let's hang out together. I'm not sure, not sure that we're really, you know, real good friends, but at least you're somebody. So they kind of would hang out on their own over here and no one else would. So I'm going to bring my new famous, becoming famous, amazing healer, miracle worker guy, and then mix him in with these guys. Talk about a risk. Does this even work? And yet Levi says, this is it. I'm going to do this. And what he's saying is not just going to provide some food, but what was a mealtime in that culture? It was community. It was life. It was relationship. He says, we're going to do this because this is real and this is important. And I'm not going to let the fact that me and my friends are undesirable by the in crowd get in the way. And as we look at the people that are gathered at Levi's party, it's interesting the writer of this book, Luke, calls these people, as you see in scripture, calls them, you can see if you look on your outline there, he calls them um, tax collectors and others. You know, gathered there were tax collectors and others. And it doesn't really specify who that is. While the Pharisees then, when they say, why are you hanging out with them? They call them and said, why are you hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners? The account doesn't say sinners, it says tax collectors and others. The Pharisees, with their nose in the air, looking down on already the sinners or the tax collectors, the ultimate sinners, and these other sinners, they've already passed judgment. The message is clear. These others that are here, they don't measure up to the standards of, of purity expected by the Pharisees, the holier-than-thou religious leaders of the day. Jesus, why do you and your disciples hang out and eat and drink with these awful people, these total, total losers, these total sinners? What are you thinking? You could be spending time with quality people like ourselves. How dare you mingle with the undesirables? We don't do that. Fascinating to me, though, that the, uh, the Pharisees don't object to the party itself. They're actually there. I'm wondering, how does this happen? Levi invites Jesus in with all the riffraff, if the culture would call it that, all the other tax collectors and the others, the sinners, and yet the Pharisees, I guess, invite themselves in. I guess when you're wearing one of the robes and stuff, you don't say no to them. So they actually invite themselves into the party. They don't, they don't mind the party. They just they don't like the guest list. Well, what are you doing with these people, Jesus? You know, in a sense, you're better than this. They're surrounded by tax collectors, cheaters, and enemies of the nation and God himself. At least that's the way that these rulers would see it, the religious rulers. So, so here's this proclaimed Messiah sitting down and sharing a meal with all that that implies in terms of family, community, relationship, forgiveness, all that. And he's doing that with his own enemies, enemies of God. How can Jesus ruin his reputation like that? What are you thinking? Only Jesus values relationship over reputation, over his reputation, and he would rather have rich times with these people, real times with these people, than push them away out of his life and out of his world just so the Pharisees might think more highly of him. It doesn't matter. This is life. Yes, it's over a meal. This is real. You might not like it but it is what it is. 
Jesus says, this is what's important. Well, the third thing we can take from this passage that we can see about Jesus is that Jesus embraces everyone and he offers them forgiveness and full acceptance. And the key here, the fill in the blank, is that he embraces everyone. And yes, he offers forgiveness and full acceptance and all the things that he does. Love, life, forgiveness, so much more. But he doesn't offer it only to the people that, that most deserve it based on their moral lifestyle. You know, you're the most godly people, so you're the ones that I'm going to offer great things to. The truth is no one really deserves the love of Jesus, and that's the point. You see, Jesus offers his all to everyone, and please note in your little subnote in your passage there, everyone needs help, but Jesus will only help those who turn to him for help. Everybody needs help. Jesus isn't going to force his way in. He'll only help, only help those who turn to him for help, only to those people that admit that they need help, that they're lost on their own. <laughs> Everyone needs Jesus, everyone. But Jesus will allow the Pharisees of that day as well as the Pharisees of this day to say, no, thanks, I got this, even though they don't got this. The Pharisees of that day did that, and boy, is that true today. I think especially in our culture of our, our culture of stand on your own two feet and be strong is, is, is so many of us pride ourselves on our self-sufficiency and on our, in, our independence and our own strength. And we somehow deceive ourselves into believing that our best, our best is good enough. It is good enough, you know. It's a whole lot better than his and hers, even though we know it's not. It's not perfection, at least not in all times and all places. And that is what's required. Perfection is needed. And we can never be perfect, not all the time and in every way. So you have this group of tax collectors and others... <laughs> The people that humbly admit, gosh, I'm in a bad spot. Boy, do I need you, Jesus, and what you offer. And Jesus comes in, and he comes into their lives, and he transforms them. Look what he did with Levi. 28, 28 chapters, the book of Matthew, revealing Jesus in an amazing way because Jesus saw his potential and his future, not just the problems in the past. And he offers himself to everybody, and he begins changing them. Well, the Pharisees... They didn't allow Jesus to participate, to, excuse me, to penetrate their hard shell, and they left without the touch of love, life, and forgiveness, forgiveness that Jesus offered. And it's sad, really, because the truth is they needed Jesus as much as any tax collector, but they decided to walk that road alone. I'm better than them. Well, you might, in some sense, be better. Well, that's debatable because of the pride. But are you good enough? I mean, you're not. Jesus offers himself to everyone, and the reality is today, wherever you're at, he offers that to you as well. Um, he offers himself. He says, I don't care who you are. I want to be a part of your life. You can receive that at any moment. Finally, we see in this story that, that Levi sets a great example for us. Introduce your friends to Jesus. You see, we see this meal happen. We see this community come about, and and, and there's a process here that is rich. Some of us have several circles of friends in our lives, I'm talking about us, and we keep them separated at all costs. You know, we don't want to offend anyone. We, we don't want anyone to misunderstand or feel awkward in any way. So we have our church friends, you know, our spiritual Christian friends, and they stand one end of our lives, and then we've got kind of our secular non-Christian friends, and they, we kind of keep them on this end of our lives, and never will the two groups meet, because again, it might get kind of awkward, and we don't want to offend anybody, and will those people understand these people, well, these people like these people. And oh, no, Levi did it different. Levi did it so different, and it was an amazing difference. And the concept is simple. Get to know Jesus. He's your friend. 
and then introduce him to your other friends. And that's what he did over a meal, not just sharing food, a quick meal, a quick bite over a cell phone and an iPad, but a rich time of community. All of your friends, because Jesus has so much to offer everyone. That's really an invitation to us. So the Jesus of 2,000 years ago, who loved to get close to people through mealtimes, he's alive and active today. He is. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He's alive. And he wants to do all that for you today. Here's the truth, just to recap, for you. Jesus sees beyond your problems in your past, and he sees your potential and your amazing future, and he loves that. Jesus desires an intimate relationship with each one of us, no matter who we are. There are no undesirables in his book. No undesirables. Next, Jesus loves us and wants to forgive us. He wants to give us a fresh new start, no matter what we think about ourselves. And then Jesus invites us to invite our own people, maybe even some less than desirables ourselves, um, to our tables to eat with us and to get to know the same Jesus that we've discovered we get to join in his mission to love, to love and bring his love to all people. Because I think that many people, they don't feel like they can eat with Jesus. You know, that, that they may not feel like they would feel comfortable. Like even come to church, like the, couple, the people that I mentioned here, like I'm not sure if, you know, the whole church thing. And, and yet for Jesus to open up the table and say, come, let's have community. And they might first taste that by having a meal with you if you were to open, open things up and begin to just naturally share who Jesus is as a friend is to you and share with them. Jesus says everyone is welcome, but you may start things off by opening your table to that uncertain person and your, may, and your table may be an entryway to his table and a life of eternal blessing with Jesus. His call is to you absolutely. He says, come follow me. But the call is also, who else can we invite to the open table? you pray with me? Father, thank you for today and for loving us the way that you do. Um, God, we're all undesirable. <laughs> we're all in so much need, Father. I just throw myself in your hands. I, I gave you my life years ago, Jesus, but I do it again today. Anybody else here that wants you can do that. I believe in you. I put my faith and trust in you. I receive your love and your forgiveness. And Thank you that you call me, that you see who I can become. You don't get bogged down in the past. Thank you that that's true for all of us, that you, that you have a plan, you have a purpose, and then there is this un, unfailing, overwhelming love, this precious love. Thank you for that. May we this summer learn to relax and enjoy meals with you. In Jesus' name, amen.